All right, I do hope that you will take every opportunity to thank these women who are serving and all of the women in Wellspring Kids as you pick up your uh, kiddos, as you drop them off in the morning. Make sure you thank them. They really are very committed to the ministry to care well for your children. So I just want to say good morning on behalf of Suzanne and myself. We just want you to know that we have been praying for you, and we really are looking forward to um, this year, to all that God has to teach us through Wellspring. Um, this morning, Scott Maxwell is going to be coming in and sharing with us uh, as we begin our new ministry. Um, he, Scott is the elder over women's ministries, and I just want you to know how blessed we are to have an elder who cares so well for you, for us. Um, he teaches us, he encourages us, um, shepherds us. I know that he prays for us. And uh, I just know how unique that is. And so um, I, I just, I hope that you will thank God for Scott, for all of our elders, but particularly for Scott as he oversees this ministry. So he's going to come in and he's going to share with us Grace Bible Church's vision and purpose and how this ministry of Wellspring fits into that. So, okay, so before he comes in, um, there are just, there are a lot of details that we need to go over. That We have a lot of new women. In fact, uh, if this is your first time taking Wellspring, will you just raise your hand and raise it high? And I know there was one who had sick kiddos um, today who isn't going to be able to come. And uh, So just notice those that raise their hand and uh, let's welcome them particularly. But I So I want to walk through uh, what a, a typical Thursday morning is going to look like. We are very thankful that God in his <coughs> kindness has given us our own facility this year. And one of the reasons why I'm excited about this is because that means we get coffee every morning. So there are coffee and treats in the back. Um, feel free to get up and uh, refill your cup and grab something else if you want. Um, just a small detail. I just made two of those small pots of coffee this morning instead of making the big percolator. So if we run out, if someone would just let me know, no, we need more, and then I certainly can do that. But I just don't want to waste a whole lot of coffee this morning. Um, you will be receiving an email through the church office, through the, the church builders um, on signing up for treats, so you'll be able to do it that way. The nice thing about doing it that way is it also sends you a reminder. I don't know about you, but I need more and more reminders these days, so I think that'll be helpful. Um, as Maggie said, um, we're going to use the bathrooms down here. Eventually, they're going to give us some kind of a cleanup plan. They're still working on that. But if you see, like, your child is down the road in the bathroom, and you need to go around the long way to get to the other ones, feel free to do that this morning. And uh, then next week, we may have a little update on that. So I also want you to know that we want to begin Wellspring at 9 o'clock. For some of you, I know that's impossible. I know that there are a few of you who have uh, need to drop off your kids, and you're going to be late. That's fine. Um, but if it's possible at all to be here at 9 o'clock, that, that's when we want to start. If, uh, so come at 8.45, you can drop your kids off, come in, grab some coffee, have a little time of fellowship. If we get started later, that means that the teaching time goes later, and then it always ends up where the discussion groups are cut short. And I just think that is such a sweet time together. So as far as you can in your planning, 
um, it'd be great if you could be here at that time. And then when you come in, just check off the attendance and there'll be a little packet for you in the back every week. And uh, this was my fault. I failed to remind you to bring your notebooks if you are returning. Um, and so most of us don't have notebooks this morning. It's fine. You don't. You can just write on what you have. But if you can use your notebooks from last year, there is a paper in the back. If you need a new mo notebook, just uh, sign up, and I, I know Allie would be happy to make one for you. And then um, name tags. Because there are so many new women, we want to learn your names, and we want to help them learn our names. So if you can just keep your name tag in your notebook and wear it every week, um, that would just be really helpful for everyone. Uh, so um, well, at 9 o'clock, what will happen is Jenna Kelso will come up and welcome us, as she did this morning, and um, maybe have some announcements. We'll have a time of worship um, on the days that the teaching time allows for that. And uh, then also in your packet, in the not the thicker packet, but the thin one, there is a list of uh, the discussion groups and also the rooms. Another benefit of having our own facility is we get to have our own room. So if one gets a little chatty when another one is talking about something a little more serious, it's not going to be disruptive. So your room numbers are on there. And uh, if, if you don't have a room assigned, um, just come and, and let me know and we'll make sure that there's the, that uh, we get you in a room. And then also we want to, because you'll be in separate rooms, okay, leaders, you're responsible. I don't think there are clocks in any of the rooms. So make sure that you have a, a watch or have your phone out um, and make sure that you end. I would say let's aim for 1055. Uh, the Wellspring Kids workers have a full morning planned for their kids up until 11 o'clock. And after that, they're all going to be anxious to see you. We, the one downside is we don't have a playground. La the last years, we could just send the kids out to the playground, and it was a little bit easier for you to just kind of take your time getting them. Um, but we don't have that this year. So if you could just be responsible, get your kids picked up, and then feel free to come back in here and fellowship with them. We would absolutely love that. So let's talk a little bit about Wellsprings, particularly for those of you who are new, but if you're returning, maybe it's been a few years since you've come, we want to be reminded of what Wellspring is. It is a training ministry that specifically focuses on cultivating lives that are transformed by the gospel and transformed in such a way that it impacts our own hearts, our homes, and our ministry so that the church is strengthened, the church and our church. Our church is strengthened when we individually are growing. And so we believe that you will benefit most by being here consistently and uh, seeing how the lessons build on each other. So Wellspring is a nine-month commitment. And so we ask that you take that commitment seriously. Um, but I also want you to know when we talk about commitment, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't come back if you miss, okay? It's gonna, things are gonna happen. It doesn't mean that if you get sick, you have to show up. We understand, life happens. But un unexpected circumstances come up. But what we mean is that you make it a priority as far as it depends on you to be here each week. So we ask that you be purposeful, and that you plan <clears throat> to be here. Make your appointments to accommodate for the Thursday mornings that we meet, okay? We all know there are lots of appointments that we need to make for us, for our kids, um, for others that we care for, but make them on, on Thursday mornings that we don't meet, if at all possible. And if you miss, come back, 
Okay, we don't want you to think, I've missed three weeks, I can't come back. Yes, you can. Please come back. So the goal is to get from Wellspring everything that the Lord has for us. We want to grow together, to be equipped as a church body. And I just want to remind you too, because I think sometimes we forget about this. We want to remember that, uh, that other women in Wellspring will grow because of your sharing, the things that God has taught you. So don't see your role as insignificant to the women in this room. Okay, we all grow from one another. And uh, so I think that's going to happen best if we're consistent in being here um, as much as we can and participating in the teaching and the discussion and also in being faithful to do our homework so that we can be uh, involved in the discussion in our, um, as we break out into groups. And so if you have to, if you have to miss, um, please just listen online. You can print out the outlines and the homework there. And uh, we're going to go over how to do that in, in just a minute. Also, Dina will have a, a notebook if you prefer to, um, if your printer's broken or you just you know don't want to, have to print any out. We will have like the last three weeks of both outlines and homework in the notebook back there. You can get those from Dina. If you're serving in Wellspring Kids, stop in first, grab your packet so that you have it, and then um, please listen on online so that you'll be able to participate in the next week. Okay, so I want you to, for those of you who have notebooks, um, to open up your notebooks, and then for the rest of you, if you could just grab that packet that you got this morning, and let's quickly walk through that. Um, one of the reasons I'm sad I forgot to tell you about the notebook is because I did want to want you to look at the cover of that notebook. So I think those of you who've been through Wellspring will, will remember the uh, logo that we have on there. Jenna already mentioned our Wellspring verse. It's Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A wellspring is the head or the source of a river or of a uh, spring, and it signifies continual supply. So when Proverbs 4.23 says that the heart is the wellspring of life. It's telling us that everything in life flows from our heart. So Scott's going to talk more about this when he comes in. The heart is the who we are. It's all of us. It's our inner man. The heart is the source of our motives, our desire, our will, our intentions, our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our opinions, our priorities, our emotions, everything, everything flows from the heart. And our life continually flows from and reveals what's in our heart. So our logo conveys that. This continual flow that you see um, of, the, of that water, the flow of water, is in, from an unseen source. Just like everything that flows out of our life is from our hearts. It's unseen by others. And our logo also conveys that Wellspring is a ministry for women and ties to Titus 2, 3 through 5. We're going to have a, a le complete lesson on that during the year. It's the idea, if you can see on there, one generation pouring into the next. And uh, again, I want to remind us that what we pour into that next generation comes from our heart. That's why we talk so much about our heart, because what we share with other women come from our heart. And it's a great reminder of how careful we need to be 
to, to guard and to watch over our hearts. So every time you see that logo, you know, when you, when you open it up, your notebook up to do your homework, um, don't just, uh, just open it up without looking. Take time and just let it serve as a reminder to you of how important it is um, that we feed our hearts well. Um, and so uh, let's go ahead then and open up your notebooks and, and let's walk through it or the, the packet that you got. Um, the first thing that you're going to see is our schedule for the year. Um, we've listed the dates there that we're going to meet and, and the lessons, but we did not list our off weeks, okay? So there, we couldn't have gotten it on one page to do it that way. So basically we're going to meet, um, as Maggie said, or Linda said, we're going to meet three weeks on and then one week off. There's a little bit larger break between Christmas and maybe Thanksgiving. So mark those on your calendar so that you know when we're going to be here. We don't want you to miss thinking it's a week off, but we also don't want you to show up and not have anyone here and then tell, have, have to take your kiddos back home again. So um, mark those on your date as well as the week that you're going to be serving in uh, well spring. So then if you turn the page, you will see our contact information. There's uh, my information and Suzanne's. And uh, you'll also see the contact information for Saturday. If there's a week that you know that you're going to miss, but rather than just listening to it online, you really want to be able to participate in a discussion group, and there's an option for you to join the Saturday one, feel free to contact Sarah or Lori and uh, ask them if the weeks coordinate. We tried to coordinate as much as we could um, between Thursday and Saturday, but we actually get to meet more than they do, so we have more lessons, and so it doesn't, and they work, meet every other week, so we weren't always able to do that, but if so, and that's helpful to you, we just want you to know that that is an option. And then under that, you will see the instructions of how to find and download the Wellspring audio in the handouts. Um, I know there was a little bit of a problem last year as we had a change, but hopefully this will be really clear to you. And then just a, a note, Allie wanted me to mention to you that um, we have new recorders and they are very sensitive. They pick up everything. They pick up a lot of the background noise. And she said particularly the clicking open of the notebooks and shut. If you click open while whoever's teaching says something, it'll pick up the click and not the teaching. So if you don't want your friends in this room who have had to miss to go, oh, what did they say? What did they say? And miss it. Then just, if you could just unclick everything, get everything out on the table. We're on tables this year. Get it all out. And then when the recorder is off, click them back again. And the same goes even like for coughing. Um, it'll pick up the coughing, but it won't pick up the words on the recorder. It's just the way the recorder is. So Allie said there's no way she can change that. So she just wanted me to mention it to you. So if we can just be sensitive to one another. For those who are listening online, it'll just be helpful. Uh, you will get an email every week letting you know when the um, audio and the, uh, in for the handouts and the homework are, uh, load are online to be able to, and so you should um, just be able to click on that. Um, all right, let's walk through then the rest of the, of the notebook. Um, well, uh, the first, or actually the next thing, let's look at where it says Bible reading and homework. If you could just turn the page, I think that should be the very next thing in there. So let's talk about the homework first. Wellspring, um, the homework is going to have three components. We're going to have a looking back, 
looking day by day and then looking ahead. And uh, so um, it'll be really helpful if you can do the, the looking back part of the homework when it's still fresh on your mind. Okay, I just want to encourage you, don't wait until Wednesday night to do all of it. Um, I think it's, it's really helpful um, to, have, to do that right away. And then there also will be, in the looking ahead, it will be really helpful for you to have that done to prepare you for the lesson that comes next. And then also, um, you'll see the memory verse is going to be on your homework. And uh, even if you don't have kids, well, first of all, if you do, I encourage you to memorize it with them. And even if you don't, it's a great verse for us to, to memorize together. Um, and then I know this is like, you know, should be a, well, a given, but I know sometimes I need to be reminded of this. Every time you pull out the homework, it's easy to just get started, but I just want to remind us to stop and to pray and to ask God for his help to show us things that we need to see as we do our homework and to be dependent on him so that it's not, doesn't just become academic, right? Our goal is to grow in holiness and um, that's only going to happen if we're really intentional in the homework. And so um, I just encourage you to do that. Um, we are asking some questions on there that are asked at a heart level. And we do that because we need to see what's in our hearts. And so I, I just ask that you really think about those questions. They're there uh, for a purpose to be able to, to grow. And um, so they're well thought through. Your homework will be turned into your discussion group leader. Sometimes I think that maybe is a little hard to do, particularly at the beginning, if you've just poured your heart out in your homework. But we want you to know, again, there's a purpose in doing that. It's going to help your discussion group leader to get to know you, to know how to pray for you, and uh, to encourage you. I turn mine in. I, I've loved getting little notes on the side. I know that someone's praying for me, maybe in an area that I've really poured my heart out, or just to get a scripture, a little note of encouragement on the side. And so um, it's really, I think, a very sweet part of Wellspring to be able to, to turn that in. So the homework is a really important part of Wellspring. Purpose, again, is to evaluate ourselves and uh, helping us to see areas where we need to change and grow. And I think it's all also really helpful sometimes. As I know, as I've written out my homework, I can stop and say, God, you have been working. And so it's a great opportunity to stop and to praise him. Maybe I see something that I struggled with in the previous year or in years past, and I'm not anymore by God's grace. It's a great opportunity to just stop then and to thank God for his faithfulness in, in growing us. So we'll always have the due date at the top of that homework. Um, and uh, so again, I would uh, encourage you to get going on it. Don't, don't leave it till the very last minute. And then in addition to the homework, we are asking that you make a commitment to meet daily in God's word. Now, you may wonder why we do that. Um, our relationship with the Lord is like any other relationship. If we want to get to know someone, what must we do? We spend time with them, right? It's no different with our relationship with God. We need to spend time with him. And that means to be prayerfully in his word. So we're going to talk a lot about that throughout the year so that we're not just reading his word, but we're intentional in the way that we're reading it. 
so that our time in the word leads to worship of, of God in order to better take care of our hearts, knowing all that he's provided for us, as well as um, his faithfulness in showing us how he desires for us to live. So if you can find that part in your packet, we're going to go through um, some of the options that you have to facilitate the Bible reading um, in order to get into a routine, into a habit of reading the word daily. And not just for this year, but really for the rest of our lives. Um, So let's take a look at those. Um, The first one you'll see there is the chronological Bible. And it's arranged in the order that that it happened. So it starts in October, or you can buy a chronological Bible. There are many of them out there in different translations, if that's helpful for you. Um, I personally think this is a great option. I try and do it like maybe every five years or so. But I do want you to know that you are in the Old Testament for a long time. Now, I thought that was good. I thought it was helpful to actually maybe identify with some of the Old Testament um, faithful men and women who waited and waited and waited for the Redeemer, the promised Redeemer. So for me, I thought it was helpful, but I also couldn't be out of the New Testament that long. It was That part of it was hard. But what I did, and we'll have them out next week, um, I read the Gospel Primer, Primer, people say it different ways, along with that, and so at least I had the Gospel every day. So that was a good combination, just a suggestion. And then the next one is the 52-week by genre. So you're in the whole Bible in a year. And I I just, all of these that you're given are given, um, are written out in a year because that's the way they are. I just want to tell you, if you are in a season of life where you're, you just look at those and you go, instant failure, okay? These are guides. If it takes you two years to get through one of these, if it takes you three years, but you are consistently in God's word, you're reading it in a way that's helpful to you, that you're able to read devotionally um, and worship God, then choose one, break it down into smaller chunks, okay? So I'm going to let you read through the rest of those on your own. There are all different kinds of apps. There are ways to make up your own um, but we want you to be in the Word. That That is how we're going to grow. Um, so if you uh, need to talk to someone, maybe you haven't done this before and you just want some input on that, feel free to talk to Suzanne to me, to your discussion group leader. And uh, so on your homework, it'll say on there, we'd like for you to, to choose a plan by October 1st. If you're already on a plan, I have to do, my, do mine from January to January. It's just the way I've done it for the past 20 years. And so I'm just staying on mine. So if you're already on a plan and it's working well for you, then just keep the plan that, that you're on. And then you will find in the back, the next section is some resources. And um, the first one is the heart. Um, there, the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts, and we're going to be talking a lot about that throughout the year. Um, we want to be really, um, we want to help you to understand better uh, what God has to say about our hearts and how much they need to be cared for well. And so those resources are there for your help. We're not going to always refer you back to them, and so please take them out and use them. The same with the, the home. There's a women in the Bible that it's helpful for us to um, 
see accounts of faithful women in God's word. I think they help us to understand how we're to live and where we need to be careful and how we can be purposeful in learning from those women who have walked faithfully before God. And so and um, so those resources are in there, not because we wanted to give you a full notebook. Okay, They're in there for a reason. We didn't just want to waste paper. They're there for your benefit. So please take them out and use them. Um, and then, um, again, I just wanted to remind you, after we're done with the teaching time, we'll break up into the discussion groups. Um, we have been so blessed this year by having two discussion leaders in every group. In every group. And uh, so they will be there. They'll be praying for you um, and caring for you. But I just wanted to remind you that caring for one another is a group effort. Okay, look around the room. There are a lot of people, and there were a couple that couldn't make it this morning. Um, it takes many to care for other women. So don't just depend on the discussion group leaders to care for the women. If you see someone who you think could use some encouragement, you want to, who um, needs prayer, it's a group effort. We all want to care well for the women together. So just real quickly, so the components of Wellspring are you'll come in, uh, grab something to eat, they'll have a time of fellowship. We really want you to take advantage of that. If you want to come a little bit early and just come in with your kids, if the Wellspring workers aren't ready for them, please do that. I love um, coming in and having that time of fellowship before. And then we'll have a time of worship on uh, the weeks that that's, that time permits that. There'll be the teaching of God's word. We'll be focusing on the disciplines. Scott's going to go over them this morning, and then we'll have um, a time in our discussion groups. And then on your own, uh, your responsibility is to spend time with God, with God in his word. Again, you'll understand how important that is um, if we want to grow, and uh, then to do your homework assignments, and uh, then to remember to pray and to encourage one another. So I hope that you are excited for the year that's before you. We are so thankful for each one of you. Again, Suzanne and I have been praying for you, and uh, we just look forward to growing together. So, Scott, if you want to come up. Oh, let me just mention, for those of you who were not at the women's conference, if there were a couple of these extra, and so Ellie just wanted me to put them on the back table, and feel free to grab one of those. morning ladies how are you good you'll need to have your uh, worksheet out that or your yeah your, your notes to follow along with that um, you got this morning and um, what we're going to primarily do this morning is try to tie together how does wellspring just fit into what grace bible church is and so the way that's easiest for us to do that is to um, explain our church's vision and purpose statement, and then we can kind of tie in where Wellspring fits with what you're doing. So I get the privilege of being able to be with you this morning on your first morning, and uh, as you all feel perhaps overwhelmed or remember, oh yeah, this is what the pace is like with this ministry, yeah. Um, we get to all run. Faster than our legs will carry us sometimes and stumble and get back up and help each other and be an encouragement to each other uh, and be gracious with one another. So as we look at God's word, let's pray.
and then we'll dig in. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your Bible, Lord. Um, There are such riches in it for us, and the primary treasure for us in the Word is you, the God of the Word. We pray, Lord, this morning that even as we study and think about the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church, Lord, that um, the Scriptures would overwhelm us and that we would be humbled and drawn closer to you that we might worship you and love you and express our need for you and fear you and fan into a flame our desire to obey you out of love. So God, meet with us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to just promise you right now that I'm going to go very fast. Uh, You have a lot in your notes that's there. A lot of the passages are already written down, so I may uh, not look at every single one of them with you. And so what I really encourage you to do is, on your own, outside, go back and and slow down and look up many of those passages. So uh, here we go. What we're going to do is is primarily three points to an outline this morning. We're going to talk first about the biblical vision of God that we have. Um, And number two, then, a little bit further in your outline, will be um, our gospel purpose in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly will be, okay, what's Wellspring and Build have to do with either of these two things? So... Let's just start on page one. You'll see on our bulletin uh, every Sunday that we have a statement that says a biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. That's the relationship between number one and number two. If you set your sights on what the Bible says, it should lead you to a purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's talk first about number one, a biblical vision of God. What do we mean by that? Let's start with the word God there. By God, we mean the triune Godhead. Um, We're going to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, it's that God, that three-in-one mysterious God that we are going to be focusing on. Um, by vision, what we mean is primarily what vision means. It's sight. It's We're going to try to set our sights on God in Scripture. And then we want to also, though, turn and look out into the world with the right vision, which is the vision of who God is. Um, we look through the lens of his word. So we want to look at the world through his word. We want to have vision that is influenced by his word when we even look at ourselves, especially when we're looking at ourselves and each other. Uh, So we want that kind of a vision. And and by that, we, of course, mean biblical. So what do we mean by biblical? Um, The vision of God comes only, only, only through his word. Any other thing you think you might see or perceive is um, not his word, and it is not having your eyes set on him. Uh, the biblical vision of God comes only through his, his scriptures. We see him by the scriptures, right? Um, we see ourselves through the lens of scripture. We see the world through the lens of scripture. So when, we, when we're talking about a biblical vision of God, we're talking about a Trinitarian, three-in-one God that we're looking at and looking through using his word okay so we're going to start with that we have a if we're talking about a triune god we have three parts to our vision it's about the glory of god the cross of christ and a transformed life by the holy spirit okay so let's talk first about the glory of god you see that there in your notes this is where in our um triune vision that we would locate the father but we're not trying to say that it's only the father who has glory that the spirit doesn't have glory the son doesn't have glory but we're rooting the glory of God in the Father. Um, so you want to read, I encourage you to read through your Bible 
and trace the word glory wherever you see it. Circle it or write it down someplace, and you'd be so blessed by that study. You'll understand so much better what the glory of God is. What does glory mean? It's primarily God's weightiness. He's weighty. He's impressive. He's overwhelming. The idea in the Hebrew was that it was heavy. God is heavy. Um, He's beyond what you can capture. He's beyond what you can carry. It, it, It bleeds over into his worth, his splendor. And in the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, God's glory, that weightiness, that impressiveness about him is expressed primarily through radiant light. The glory of God is something brilliant, blinding, um, that drops you to your knees. There's a sense in which God's glory is that which he uses to reveal himself to man. You know what John 1.18 says? No one has seen God at any time. No one has. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care about what book they wrote, about where they went. They have not seen God. Um, Exodus 33, verse 20, God said to Moses, No man can see me and live. You and I are not in a capacity, a condition, by which we can look on God as he is and survive it. So then how did he at times reveal himself to people? He actually revealed himself to them by his glory. Something weighty and impressive about him was radiantly beaming in front of them. And they knew it was God. And he identified himself as Yahweh. The Old Testament teaching on this is in Exodus 33, verses 11 and following. In fact, I want you to turn there if you can. I'm just going to read that passage because I think you'll understand this as we read through this passage. Exodus 33, verse 11. This is right after the the golden calf. So things are not going well with Israel. Okay? And God has said to Moses... I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel with you into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. If I go with you, you're all dead. I just, I, I won't make it with you. And so Moses pleads with him. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, says Moses, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So God says, I'll go with you. After he had told him he would send an angel instead. Verse 15, then Moses said to Yahweh, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it then be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, isn't it by your going with us so that we, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? In other words, Israel will only look like the Canaanites and all of the other ites unless what? Unless God is with them. He is the difference maker. The only one. And Yahweh said to Moses, verse 17, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me your weightiness. Show me your impressiveness. Show me your overwhelmingness. Show me your greatness and splendor through radiant light. And he said, 
I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me. You shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. There would be some kind of a, of a trailing of God that he would be allowed to see, the radiant glory of God. So there is the greatest Old Testament example of that. In the New Testament... You see this in John chapter 1. If you want to turn there, take a look at that. John chapter 1, verse 14. And this is where the, the glory of God the Father and the glory of the Son collapse into one another and are inseparable. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. And the idea of His um, of him dwelling among us is that he tabernacled among us. He was like a tent. He tented with us. He camped with us, just like God in the Old Testament did. Here is Jesus, and we saw his glory as well. Um, you can pair these passages together if you want to. Exodus 33 is Moses on the mountain, and any one of the transfiguration passages in the New Testament where Jesus is on a mountain, and they see his glory, and Moses and Elijah are there, and then Moses and Elijah get taken away, and Jesus remains. Those are parallels to show you that Jesus is that radiant glory of Yahweh from the Old Testament. Those are the pairings you want to put together. You can also pair Isaiah 6 with John 12. That's when um, Isaiah, you know, in Isaiah 6, he saw the, the, the glory of God and he said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, uh, and his lips are cleansed by the, the being that took the tongue from the, uh, the, the coal from the altar. And then in John 12, um, John says that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. Of Jesus. And so, um, who was that radiant glory that Isaiah was dealing with? It is God in the flesh, uh, Jesus. Practically speaking, um, what difference does this make? You start in your Old Testament, you're going to find the word glory very early on. All the way to the very end, you're going to find the glory of the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and God in it is the very radiant light that overwhelms everyone there practically speaking what so what what difference does that make that's great god is this radiant impressive being um daily you and i must be like moses and we must position ourselves to see the glory of god in jesus christ and the father and the spirit every day position yourself daily before the bible to drink in the glory of god right um, we're all aware of probably more of, of the idea of I need to glorify God with my life. I want to glorify God with my being a wife. I want to glorify God with being a parent. I want to glorify God with my job. I want to glorify God. Listen, step one to glorifying God is first, before you do anything and try to do it well, it is simply to just drink in the radiant glory and impressiveness of God in Scripture. If you don't do that, but try to go run and do things well to his glory, doesn't that seem like there's a disjoint there? First, 
just become consumed with his radiant glory, just his impressiveness in Scripture, what the Bible says about him that is so impressive and weighty and good. Consume yourself with that, and you will find yourself fueled to then glorify him in everything you do. Okay? So there's the glory of God. Let's talk about the cross of Christ. How is Christ's death related to God's glory? The glory of God in Scripture is inseparably tied to, are you ready? Blood. And in particular, the blood of an innocent substitute that gets shed in the place of the worshiper. In the Old Testament, God in all of his glory was, remember, he was enveloping the mountain, Mount Sinai. The whole mountain was just rumbling and shaking under the weight of his impressive glory. And God said, don't let anybody touch it. Don't even let the animals come near it. Anything will, and everything will die if, if it touches this mountain. And then through Mosaic law, God revealed that he wanted his glorious presence that was shaking that mountain to come down into the camp of the Israelites and dwell in a tent. Does that make sense? A mountain is crumbling under the weight of the radiant and impressive glory of God. And he says, I want to be in a tent in your presence. And in that tent, what would happen frequently over and over and over? There would be a trail and a river of blood flowing out of it. The blood of an innocent substitute being slaughtered in the place of the sinner who wants to worship God. You see, God designed it that his radiant glory and the blood of an innocent substitute are inseparable. You cannot pull them apart. They go together. It's a fusion of God's glory and a substitute's blood. And where did it reach its revelational climax in the Bible? Obviously, at the cross of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. His blood is our only hope. You can't talk about the glory of God in Scripture without inevitably getting to what? The death of Jesus. And you can't talk about the death of Jesus very long without having to want to also talk about the radiant splendor and greatness and overwhelmingness of God. So what are we not saying when we're talking about the cross of Christ? Two things we're not saying. We're not saying that we're interested only in a cross. That it doesn't matter who's on the cross, right? It matters who's on the cross. It's not a Christless cross. It's only a Christ dying on it cross that we're interested in. And we're not trying to, secondly, diminish the empty tomb or the resurrection uh, by emphasizing the cross. We're just trying to recognize that we need our sins to be atoned for. Um, the Old Testament type in the Bible is Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. I encourage you just to read Leviticus 16 and watch what was supposed to happen there. Two goats the sin of the nation of Israel on one goat as it goes out and perishes outside the camp. The New Testament teaching, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Let me just read that passage to you. There, there's many passages to go to in regards to the blood of Christ, but um, Hebrews 9 verses 18 and following is a good passage because it kind of puts the old covenant where Mosaic law put together this tabernacle, this tent, this place of meeting, this place of worship, and then talks about Jesus in the new covenant, 918. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. 
For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all of the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in heavens, in the heavens to be cleansed with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So that tells you right away that Moses understood that Yahweh said to him, look, I'm going to make you a copy of what heaven is like. And what you're going to make is going to be a copy of it. And, and, and so we're going to set it apart and make it pure and holy for my use among your people with blood. And it's a copy of that. So if you've got the copy of it, when the real thing comes, you don't want the copy anymore. And that's what he talks about here in verse 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would have to, uh, he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, in other words, at the right time, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that word sacrifice means bloody sacrifice. The same kind of bloody sacrifice from the Old Testament. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Wait a minute, how many times do you die and get to go to heaven and come back? It's been appointed that you die what? Once. Once. Okay. So Christ, all, just wanted to point that out, just make sure that was clear for us all. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. In other words, he came the first time to shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sin. He's going to come again without any dealing with sin like he did the first time. He'll just come, and and those who are eagerly waiting for him, get him. And those who don't, he's not going to provide a sacrifice for them again. In fact, his prior sacrifice will not be applied to them. It's a terrifying time of judgment. He doesn't come in reference to sin the second time to atone for it. Um, Key theological phrase, if you want to write it down, this may be new for some of you, um, penal substitutionary atonement. I'll write it down for you. Penal substitutionary atonement. Okay. What does that word look like for, if you added a couple letters to it, what would it look like? Here's the way you can remember why Jesus shed his blood. There's a penalty, and it must be paid. God demands it, because he is a holy God, and he is just, and there must be the penalty paid. But who can pay it? Only a substitute. You cannot pay it. I cannot pay my penalty. Only a substitute can pay it. His blood must be shed to do what? To atone, atone, to atone for our sins, right? To take away guilt and shame, to reconcile us to God, to satisfy the wrath of God, to give us forgiveness, to redeem us. All of those precious words all put together are the idea of atonement. To reconcile us to God. Um, 
Listen to some practical things that Paul said. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. There's only one thing that matters. What's the greatest subject in all of the universe all the time? Christ crucified. And I determined to know nothing among you, Paul says. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing to boast in outside of this. This is the only thing that matters for the human race. So position yourself. What does this mean practically speaking? Just like we position ourselves before the Bible to drink in the glory of God, what should you do every day? Position yourself before the Bible to drink in this amazing penalty paid by a substitute who atoned for my sin. To bring the gospel before your life every day. What other message do you have to share? Uh, What else do you have to boast in? So the glory of God rushes to the cross of Christ, which then ushers into number three, the transformation of life by the Spirit. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to apply the work of Jesus Christ at the cross to the one that God is saving. That's his plan. It is the Spirit's job to do that. And when the Spirit applies propitiation or the taking away or the satisfaction of wrath and the Holy Spirit applies um, the taking away of guilt from the sight of God, when the Holy Spirit applies forgiveness of sin through the shed blood of Jesus, something absolutely powerful and all-encompassing takes place in the sinner that God is saving. A massive salvation occurs. Listen, when... The Holy Spirit takes everything that Jesus did in that and applies it to the life. Here's what doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Ah, That doesn't change. That does not happen because that is not the salvation that God designed. And the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. He is the pledge of our inheritance. One day who we are, what we have in Christ will all be finally realized and fulfilled. So there's a promise of what's coming that we don't have yet in totality. But the Holy Spirit also brings the new birth, being born again, regeneration. And that ushers in a new life. So penal substitutionary atonement in the hands of the Holy Spirit in a sinner's life brings about the new birth. You're born again. Okay? We could talk about being saved in the different ways that the Bible talks about being saved, um, just as an example. In your Bible, there will be some times where you'll read and it will say that you were saved in the past. And then there will be some times you'll read in your Bible and it will say, and you will be saved. And then there are times it says we are being saved. So which is it? And the answer is yes. We were saved from all of the penalty of sin against us. Any sin that I'd ever committed in the past is wiped away completely. Um, I, I was forgiven. I was wiped clean by the blood of Christ. I am, I am a new creature in Christ. And it is true that I ultimately one day will be saved when I am into the presence of Jesus when I die. Same with you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But there is a sense also right now in which we are being saved. Not because it's questionable about what God did in the past in my life. And therefore I need to keep getting saved every day in that old past tense sense. 
but in the sense that he is preserving us and we are continuing to be delivered, saved, rescued from our sin in our progressive sanctification. Okay, progressive sanctification. So let's try to understand that. You see in your notes there, understanding regeneration and progressive sanctification. Birthing the sinner into a new life before God is rooted in a moment, right? You are all um, women, obviously. I was able to point that out to myself. Um, Many of you, if not all of you, are uh, moms and have had um, a child. You thank God that the birth was not a process like days and, well, for some of you, it was days, wasn't it? Let's let's expand. Weeks. You're not giving birth all of the time to your children. It's an event. It may have seemed like a process, but it's an event. New birth, birthing the sinner into a new life before God is rooted in a moment. It's not a process. It's an event. But that event, that regeneration, inevitably ushers in a new lifestyle before God, which is a process, an ongoing process. And that's called progressive sanctification. So the event regeneration has only one set of fingerprints on it. Your precious little baby that you gave birth to did not do anything to help you. You did it, and others perhaps helping you. But uh, there's only one set of fingerprints on God's regeneration event, and it's God's. We're born again. We, I can't cause myself to be born. You didn't cause yourself to be born naturally. You cannot cause yourself to be born supernaturally. It has only one set of fingerprints on it as God's. However, the process of progressive sanctification has two sets of fingerprints on it. God's and yours. And your fingerprints are on your progressive holiness, your progressive growing in holiness. Your fingerprints are on it because he has given to you commands to obey. That you cannot sit back, take your hands off and say, I hope somebody else does it for me. You cannot let go and let God. That is bad theology. It's a bad understanding of the Bible. You must put your fingertips and your your efforts to progressive sanctification. Not because you're trying to earn your favor with God. Not because you're not sure if you're born again and and you want to make sure you will be born again. You do it out of a result of having been born again. A new life comes to you. Okay? So that is the role of the Holy Spirit. To cause you to be born again in the past. To help you in your progressive sanctification. And he is sealing you all the way until the end. You see, he is a part of the past, the present, and the future salvation that you experience and enjoy. And he is often the neglected one, isn't he? and misunderstood one. The Old Testament revelation and anticipation of this, uh, there's evidence of the Holy Spirit's transforming ministry in the Old Testament, but it's not as clear as it is in the New Testament. In fact, let's take a look at John chapter 14. I think this is probably the easiest way, if you've ever wondered, okay, what was the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Um, Versus, compared to, what is his role in the New Testament with Believers after Jesus Christ. Let's look. Jesus, I think, is pretty clear. John 14, verses 16 and 17. 
He says, this is his last night with the disciples before he dies. And he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And who is he? He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But now watch this. He tells his disciples who are believers in him. Judas is gone by this point. But he's telling the 11 who are believers in him, you know him. How do you know him? Because two things. One, he abides with you. Present tense. For those 11 disciples before the cross in Old Testament conditions, Jesus told them the Holy Spirit abides with you. What was the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? To abide with believers, whatever that means. He was abiding with them. He was with them. He was present. He was doing whatever it is that he was doing. But now notice the difference. Verse 17. And will be in you. You see the future tense? At some point, the Holy Spirit will actually be in you. When did that occur? At Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended and gone to the Father, the gift of the Spirit came. And now Old Testament believers who have the Spirit abiding with them in some sense now have the Holy Spirit in them. Okay? That's the role of the Spirit from the Old Testament to the New. If you think about John 3... There's other teaching on the New Testament, which is actually still Old Testament. Jesus is telling a Pharisee how to be born again, because he doesn't know how to be born again. That, that he actually needs to be born again. Um, Titus 3 is a great passage. That's one I would circle and go back and read. Romans 8. Um, all of these are amazing passages on the Spirit. Practically speaking, though, so what? Okay, if you daily position yourself to drink in the glory of God, and you daily position yourself to uh, drink in the cross of Jesus and an um, innocent substitute's blood shed for you. What should you do with the Spirit? Daily position yourself before the Bible to see Him, to see your need for the Holy Spirit, to express to God in prayer your dependence upon Him. Um, the Holy Spirit, uh, for people in our theological persuasion, is often forgotten and misunderstood by others. Or what gets the primary focus in regards to him is that he is, the only thing he primarily does is he gifts believers. He gives them gifts, which he does. We don't ever want to diminish that. But we should not miss his primary foundational work, which is applying the cross of Jesus Christ in time to the sinner who is being saved. And we should not neglect his constant support in progressive sanctification. So plead for fullness of the Spirit in that sense. I need you, Spirit of God, so that I become the holy woman of God you desire me to be. Um, so there's your biblical, your biblical vision of God. It's triune. It's about the glory of God. It's about the cross of Jesus, Also, that the Holy Spirit transforms us and we are different. Okay? That's the message of the Bible. It's not the, all of the message of the Bible, but that's what the Bible sets our sights on. Now, as a result of that, what should our purpose be? Number two, our gospel purpose in Christ. Jesus in the gospel, uh, in the gospels appears to have three primary overlapping gospel activities for his disciples. Drawing in, building up, and sending out. So the biblical vision had a triad, right? The glory of God, the cross of Jesus, transformation of life by the Holy Spirit. The gospel purpose has a triad. Drawing in, building up, and sending out. Okay. We set our sights on this. We rest in this. We depend upon this. This is amazing. This is worshipful. And this is where we just get after it. And we labor. Okay? 
Um, let's start with drawing in. I'll give you two statements to help you flesh out what it means to what we mean by drawing in. Drawing in is uniquely God's sovereign and saving work. Look at John chapter 6, two verses there, verse 44 and 65. This is God's uh, primary, unique, sovereign and saving work. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. How many people come to Jesus Christ apart from God the Father? Truly come to Jesus Christ apart from God the Father? Not one. Not one. Now, will people attach themselves to Jesus without the Father? Yeah, any, think of any examples. One out of 12, maybe. Judas and others. Right? It's possible in this world, but no one truly comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's Jesus' promise. How about John 6, 65? And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So what do we mean by drawing in? Um, we do not mean that we drew sinners into a church service. Isn't it great? Look how many sinners are coming, how many people are coming to our programs. Look how many people are coming to this, coming to that. Look how many people are coming to my workplace Bible study. Look at how many people are coming to my mom's group Bible study I do in my home as I reach out. There's so many people kind of, they're drawn in. Look, there's a place to be encouraged by that, but there needs to be a holy discontentment with sinners being drawn into participating in ministry things until when? What are we after? We don't want to just see people attend. We want to see people be what? Be saved, be born again. So if an unbeliever participates in a program or a small group or a worship service, are we glad they're there? Of course, of course. But we must labor in the gospel in such a way that they are savingly drawn into Jesus Christ. So a second statement to help clarify what we mean by drawing in. Jesus crucified is God's, and I have two words, I don't know which one is better, I think both of them work, God's unique or powerful object of attraction. There's only one object of attraction that saves. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says there that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it, the cross of Jesus, is the power of God. It is the power of God. What is the power of God? Jesus. Jesus crucified for forgiveness of sins. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 to 24, uh, Paul says, to those who are called, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5 said, your faith must rest not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God in the cross and in the gospel. So there is only one object of attraction. It's not you. It's not me. It's not a new building. It's not a worship music style. It's not what we do in a service. There's only one thing that uniquely and powerfully draws people in a saving way to Jesus and it's Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus. So what are you lifting up in your personal evangelism? Lifting up in the sense of which Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw them into myself. What are you lifting up? What 
do you lift up thinking that it has power to draw people to themselves, to, uh, to Christ, who are dead in their trespasses and sins? Listen, we don't lift up a program because a program doesn't have power. And, and look, you might even be tempted at times to think companionship. I'm just really good friends with this, um, this unbeliever, and we have this really special relationship. That's wonderful. Praise God. Develop as many of those as you can with the understanding that your specialness to them and them to you has no power to change them. It just doesn't. Because God did not give it power. That does not mean that you should not befriend sinners and love them. Please do. But recognize where power is and where power is not. How about this in your parenting? Have you ever been tempted in your parenting that I just want my kid to like me? And if they like me, I'm a lot more comfortable with how things go. And then you can kind of settle into a, that's what the goal is. I, they like me. And maybe that means there's something spiritual going on because there's now the absence of conflict. Look, we can take anything and set it up and think that it's powerful. And it has. there's only one thing that has power. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ crucified for forgiveness of sins. So until you lift up Jesus Christ crucified, you don't really know what they're responding to. I've seen this before. I remember I was a part of a a ministry where we decided we were going to do a marriage seminar for basically just the neighborhood. And that's what we called it at the church that I was at. It was a marriage seminar and people came to it and we were really encouraged. And um, we didn't tell them that it was about Jesus per se. It was just this is about marriage. We're just going to talk about what marriage is. We're going to use the Bible, but we're going to talk about marriage. And they came, and we were really excited. And But the reality is, is when you put that up and you draw them in towards that, you don't know what they're accepting. And if they reject it, you don't know what they're rejecting. Because what matters at the end? If they are accepting what Jesus Christ did at the cross to save sinners or what they're rejecting. If they're rejecting what Jesus Christ did to save sinners, that's what matters in the end. Um, So you can feed the homeless. And should you be gracious and should you be concerned for people and their needs? Yes, please. But if they're responding to bread, in fact, Jesus talked about this after he fed the 5,000 the first time. When they came around again, he said, you're coming because I fed you. You don't until you get to the cross of Jesus, you don't know what they're accepting and you don't know what they're rejecting. So that is not to say those other things don't matter. They do matter. Meet needs where you can. But as you meet needs, what? You must lift up the gospel. You must proclaim with your mouth Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's talk about building up. And remember, the drawing in, building up, and sending out a way for us to think about these. These are not like first grade, second grade, and third grade. In first grade, you do drawing up, but in second grade, you don't have to do it anymore because you, well, you graduated from that, and so now you're in the building up part. And then once you finish that, you go on to being sent out. And you know, these are overlapping all of the time. You never graduate from these gospel activities. Um, Ephesians 4 If I could encourage you with anything in regards to building up these days, it would be that it is not primarily, personally, individually, only about you. Um, Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 16. You need to read the whole section there, but... um, We'll just look at the one...
Ephesians 4, verse 16. I feel like lost because I want to use a board, but there's not one in the middle. (laughs) But since I gave that one fair time, I'll give the other one fair time. How about that for a moment here? Okay. All right. So Ephesians 4, 16. The whole body, and I'm using the NAS. The whole body causes the growth, um, and then to understand that, the growth of the body. So there's the main idea in that verse. There's a whole lot of prepositional phrases and other phrases in that. But that's the idea. This is what God is after. Do you know what God is after? He wants to see the whole body cause the body to grow. Isn't that interesting? God's plan is that the body of Christ should cause the body of Christ to grow. Um, where do you fit in that? Well, that's where we need to look at the different parts of it. Take a look. First off... Watch this, this whole process. From him. This is from him that he just mentioned before. This is from Jesus. So this whole growing in the body comes from Jesus. You see how that starts off that way? From whom the whole body. Um, What else? It's being fitted together. Oh, now I'm starting to see um, where I fit. I, there's a fitting together in this body, and I'm a part of that in there, being fitted together. How about held together? Oh, wait a minute. So what does this say about the person who thinks that they can grow, but they don't have to be connected to anybody? And, right? Being held together by what? Every joint supplies do you know where you are that means every connection oh, sorry I'm not getting erased every connection that's you where's a connection it's when your life touches another life in the body where your life touches another life it has a supply Okay, so wait a minute. If that's going to happen, I need to be held together to other people. I need to be fitted together. This all has to come from him. And when we are all connected together with that supply, the whole body causes the growth of the body. Except, um, according to, each part working the way it's supposed to. I'm going to amend what he's saying there. Working rightly. That only happens when you are working the way that you're supposed to work. So where are you in this verse? Oh, you are right here. This is very important. According to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body. So you should you focus on your own personal growth in Jesus Christ? Yes, you should. Never neglect that. Don't back off on that. But you might need to add to your thinking what? That your life is connected what? To a whole body of people that needs you. When your hand is hurt, when you've sprained a wrist, you've jammed a finger, it aches. The body feels it. Surgery, you feel it. 
right? Your life, where you're at, it matters what you are, what you're doing with your own personal growth, but your personal growth is connected, and all of this is at the end of it, it's being built up in love. Is out to show that this growth is, is about love for one another, love for God. So there's building up. Practically speaking, if you focus, if you if you would say your Christian life has primarily been that of focusing on your own personal growing, praise God. Now expand your thinking. Add that I have to be connected to a body. I have to be connected with other women. I have to be connected with other believers. Hear me correctly. Not saying stop focusing on your own personal growth. Didn't say that. Add to that. Add to it that you have to be involved in the body. That leads then to sending out, drawing in, building up, and sending out. When God draws in, he often does it through those he has sent out, which are the very ones he's been building up. These three things all go together without being separated. Let me give you four statements to help flesh out sending out. Number one, God has always been ascending God. God has never not been ascending God. Uh, he sent Moses. He sent Isaiah. He sent Jeremiah. He sent Ezekiel. He sent John the Baptist. You can read this over and over and over and over. And secondly, Jesus Christ was sent by his sending father. That's really the point um, of the Gospel of John. Over 50 times you'll find the word send, sent, or sending in there. Um, read it through and just trace where you find that word sent. Jesus Christ was sent by his father. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, so understand, God the Father has always been ascending God. The Son was sent. What about the Holy Spirit? Did you know he was sent to John 14, 26? Jesus said to his disciples, the Father will send him in my name. John 15, 26. He is the one whom I will send to you from the Father, Jesus said. In John 16, 7, I will send him to you. So God the Father has always been ascending on. Jesus was sent. The Spirit was sent. I wonder what disciples of Jesus will be. We know because we should cry out as Isaiah did in the Old Testament, send me. When he overheard what God was going to do and he heard the Godhead speaking, whom shall we send? Isaiah was at that point, having been cleansed from his sin, saying, send me, I'll go. John 4, 38, Jesus told his disciples, I sent you. John 17, 18, in his prayer to the Father, he said, as you sent me into the world, Father, I have also sent them into the world. In John 20, 21, he said, as the Father sent me, I also send you disciples. In Matthew 9, 35 through chapter 10, he said, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Those very workers were the disciples that he was just talking to. You have the Great Commission. You have Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, we are sent ones. That's just our identity. We are witnesses of Jesus. You can think of yourself and your identity. I am a precious child of God, and that is absolutely true. But you are also a sent one. As much so, you are a sent one by Jesus Christ. Sent where? Practically speaking. Where does God have you? You're sent into your marriage. You are sent into your children. You are sent into your church. You are sent into the rhythm and pattern of life that he has set up for you outside of your home and in your church. And, and do not think that the only way you're a legitimate sent one is if somehow you were a part of some kind of a missions thing, short term or long term. Look, someday God might formally more so send you out by your church to be a sent one like that. 
And that would be glorious. That would be great. But do not think prior to that that you're not a sent one because you are. God is a sending God. His disciples are sent ones. That's what we are. Take advantage of God's genius in his evangelism program. Don't overlook the evangelism program he has for you. Do you know what it is? It's the rhythm and the pattern of life and the location of life where you live. You do it every week. It it looks very similar. You go to the same many types of places. You see the same people again. Your church cannot program that well. So take advantage of the program that God has you in. Recognize the rhythm and the pattern and the location that God has you in and take advantage of that. Um, So... The gospel is central to each one of these. What is your drawing in if the gospel is not present? It's not savingly being drawn in. What is being built up if we're not being built up in the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not building up as Jesus understands it. What if we send ourselves out to do all kinds of things, but we don't go preaching the gospel? It's not sent out. See, it's a gospel purpose. Do you understand? It's a gospel purpose. So... There's your, number one, a biblical vision of God. There's our gospel purpose in Christ. Let's talk thirdly here in the last remaining time that we have together um, about Wellspring. Um, How does Wellspring fit in with all of this? In one sense, Wellspring stands really kind of between the biblical vision and the gospel purpose of the church. In one sense, it does. It, it exists in one sense to help the men and women of the church for Build and for Wellspring become more consistent to gaze upon God in Scripture. But then it also probably most clearly fits into the building up part of our gospel purpose, right? Um, to build up believing women within Grace Bible Church. That's what we're here for. But let me talk just for a moment in this first question about how Wellspring relates to other ministries in the church. Um, We're here to help you try to get set up in other ministries of the church. Um, Wellspring is not a substitute for small group involvement. We want you involved in a small group as soon as you can be. Um, And if you're transitioning in that direction and need help, we'd love to help you do that. Um, We wouldn't be content. I wouldn't be content if a woman was in Wellspring but had nowhere on her agenda small group in this church uh, because small groups matter that much to the elders in this church and we would love for you to be participating in that. Um, So we're here to help you make that transition if we can. Um, It's not like it's uh, a rigid sequence of you can't come into Wellspring until you're in a small group. No, we can allow that you come in, but we want to help you get into a small group as you're doing it. Does that make sense? Um, Second question. How does Wellspring build up believing women of Grace Bible Church with three basic spiritual disciplines? Those are the ones that um, you're going to go over every single week and spend the rest of your year together on. The first discipline, I'm going to describe them to you without giving you the labels. Because I think it's helpful first to maybe just talk about what they are and then we'll put the labels to them at the end. The first discipline is about how you as a believer worshipfully pursue God through his word. It's about how you worshipfully pursue God through his word. That's how we want you to be built up. Um, Your interaction with the Bible needs to be nothing short of worship. It shouldn't be anything less than an expression of love, an expression of need for Jesus, a desire to know Jesus. And it is a discipline to do that. 
Um, it takes discipline to ensure that worship actually takes place when your Bible is open. Have you ever opened your Bible, tried to read it, done it, walked away from it and say, I have no idea what just happened? Anybody? Oh my goodness. Happens to elders. At least this elder. It takes discipline to say, no, 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 no. My Bible's open. What needs to happen right now? Look, I will control me to focus so that what needs to happen does happen. Okay? It's a discipline. It really is. It's not safe to simply assume that because you're a Christian and because your Bible is open, therefore you are automatically expressing love for Jesus and deep worship of God is taking place. It is not safe to assume that. Um, I don't assume it in my own life. So this first spiritual discipline is foundational to your being built up in Christ. How would it be possible to be built up in Christ if you never worshipfully or seldom worshipfully pursue God in his word? Don't be satisfied with that kind of being built up. Here's the way we say it. We come to the word of God to meet with what? The God of the word. That's what we're after in this first discipline. The second one is... um, purposefully impacting your household relationships first as one who loves the word of God and the God of the word. Where's the first place of impact you must make as that kind of woman who loves God and who loves his word? You must impact your home first, your household relationships. If you're a daughter still living at home, it's a great chance at that point. I always tell the guys anyway, the young men, hey, it's time to go ask your dad. Dad, can you hand over some care, spiritual care to the family, to me? I, I don't encourage 14-year-old boys to do that. But if, if a guy's in college and if dad is trying to shepherd the family, um, I think it's a great opportunity for the young man to be able to say, hey, dad, could I lead devotions? Could I share something from God's word with the family? That's a great thing to do. As you're an older uh, gal in your family, a, a, an older daughter, it's a great opportunity to be able to Just look around and try to care for people spiritually in your home. Um, Are you a single woman living with roommates? Change the way you view your household. Change the way you view your household. If you're sitting with anybody who is a single gal and you're trying to minister to them, ask them frequently, what's it like with your roommates? Uh, Tell this to the guys all the time too. Um, If you think that you can completely neglect and blow off and not care about your roommates, all the while hoping that if you had, let's say, a fiancé or a a significant other, trying to convince them that you won't be that way with them, you're fooling them and you're fooling yourself. Because what you are in your household is what you will bring into the next household. It just is. So even if you're single, you want to be working on your relationships. It will be hard. It will be awkward. It will be weird. Your roommates will say, why are you doing this with me? And you'll say, because I care about you and I want to make an impact in my household. I don't want to be a hypocrite who leapfrogs over my household to get to other people. I'm practicing now for when I'm married, when I got kids. And it's a spiritual discipline. How many wives, how many husbands do you see in the church who neglect their families to get to more important things? There are no more important things. Okay, then what's going on in your home? So that's your second discipline. The third discipline makes sense then now as one who is really taking care of your heart well with the word of God and the God of the word and you're caring for your family. Look, which person, what kind of woman would God love to make an impact on people outside of that home? That kind of woman. 
one who has been drawing near to God, who worshipfully expresses her love for God in his word, and one who's caring for her family well, bring anybody out in the world to that woman, and that woman's ready. That doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you're a a theology professor capable of defending every doctrine. It means, though, that you are ready. You are a sharp tool in the hand of God, ready to be used by him outside your home. You should step into ministry at church. If you're in Next Generation Ministries, you're ready to step in and caring for children. If you're in Wellspring, if you are in your small group, you're ready to connect with other ladies and care for them well. And you're ready to talk to the grocery clerk who doesn't get why you talk to your children the way that you do and asks you questions about the way that you're caring for your kids. Okay? You're ready. So the title of these three spiritual disciplines are D1, the heart. We're going to focus on shepherding the heart. D2, discipline to the home. You shepherd your household relationships. And D3, you're now ready for the ministry, to shepherd other lives, to care for other people. And again, it's marked by priority, not by sequence. There's one that does take a priority over the others. It's your heart. You need to care for yourself well. But it's not like first grade. That when you, okay, I got the shepherding the heart thing, I can graduate from that, and now I can just focus on my household. You will never be ready for that, okay? Um, Question three, why does discipline one the heart hold such a primary place in Wellspring? Uh, Let me focus a little bit more on that. Um, What do we mean by the heart exactly? The heart, and you're going to talk, Chris, when's your lesson on the, from the card? Next week. Next week you'll get a bunch on this. But your heart is the inner man or the inner woman before God. Like 1 Peter 3, 4 says, the hidden person of the heart. It's who you are inwardly before God. It's where he deals with you spiritually and inwardly. You take away your physical body and you still exist. You do, right? Uh, In heart form. So the inner woman is housed within the body, but it's not dependent upon the body for its existence. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's your heart. That's who you are inwardly before God. Okay? Let me tell you what your heart is not. Your heart is not a piece of you. It's not a part of you. It's not a portion of you. It's you. It's you. It's not a piece of you. It's you. Okay? It's not merely where your emotions come from. We talk that way a lot. Hey, you need to put some heart into it. And by that we mean put some feeling into it. That's not who you are is a feeling. And your heart is not merely confined and restricted to feelings. It's who you are inwardly before God. You'll discover this more as you look in God's word together next week. Um, So what we're aiming for in discipline one, when we say shepherd your heart, what do we mean? We're not saying shepherd your emotions. We're saying shepherd you, you shepherd you shepherd who you are inwardly, bring who you are inwardly before God, before his word and take care of yourself. It's a discipline. It doesn't just happen. You ever notice you wake up and you can get going in your day and you haven't thought anything about that. It takes discipline to do it. And this is the priority. If you skip this part, you missed, really, the heart of it, right? Um, So you're shepherding you. Um, 
Let me um, talk to you about, did you, I heard you talk a little bit about Bible reading plans. Did you cover what you wanted to on that? Do you want me to say anything about that? Yeah. Um, your primary goal with your Bible reading plan is discipline one, to make sure that as you are doing your reading plan, you are meeting with God in his word in a worshipful, prayerful, um, loving expression as a child before a father. That's what your primary goal is. Uh, and you guys will walk together to develop that, to practice that, and cement that spiritual discipline into place in your lives. Um, some of you, if you have not been in a good discipline of reading the Bible, probably it would be good to start with smaller amounts of the Bible and just make sure that you're doing it with that smaller amount. But I want to tell you that we're... The elders would love to see you be someday is that you are on a plan of reading through the Bible in a year, every year, year after year. Imagine after 15 years of reading through the Bible every year if you'd read the Bible 15 times. If you had to be away from your, um, your husbands or your dads or people that you love and you wrote them 10 letters over the course of the time and when you got back you found out that they had only read four of them and six of them hadn't been opened. How would you feel about that? What did you do in that letter? You poured yourself out. It was the best that they could have of you while you were gone, but they were only content to read four of them. This is what Christians do. We read our same five favorite books of the Bible over and over and over and over, and we always come back to James. (laughs) James gives us the kick in the pants that we need. Uh, to get going. So we always come back to that. Listen, um, God wrote a whole bunch of letters and the goal of your life needs to be that you read all of them. It's his expression of love and revelation of himself to you. Don't miss that. But that may not be where you're ready to start. And so there is a, a, a Bible reading plan in your notebook that helps you to kind of select a smaller amount of Bible and read it worshipfully. And Chris and the others can help you with that. Okay. All right. I went right up until about 11, so I'm sorry. Let's pray, and we'll close our time together. Father in heaven, thank you for these ladies. Would you please bless their humble efforts, Lord? What would their efforts be without your spirit's power and without you giving them your strength, Lord? They would be weak and frail, and they would fall short. Would you please um, fan uh, their desire into a flame, and would you support them and give them your grace as they seek to um, walk more closely with you, with your word? Lord, bless them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.